0: Amen. Okay, well, tonight we are going to be continuing our series on the home parenting, parenting specifically, but uh, the message tonight is going to be talking about a topic that I think is, is very important, and there will be lessons, in every message there are lessons you can draw, whether you're a parent or whether you're not. If you're not drawing something from the lessons... It's because you're not listening and the holy spirit's not 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 speaking to your heart in some way you're closing him off in some way but there there is an important truth that i'd like to talk about tonight um and and I've, i look at our kids every single sunday and in fact there was one wednesday when we dismissed all the kids and it's like there was more of them than there were of us we're outnumbered right okay so if the kids decided we're going to rule the world they could take over this church pretty easily, right? <laughs> so if, we, if we allowed them voting rights. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so. But our kids have so much potential to do something for God. And as parents, that is an important responsibility that has been laid in our laps to shepherd and to guide our children, to be the, to be the people that God has called them to be. If there's one practice I think that has fallen away in most churches more than any other practice... In Christian parenting, it is this idea of family devotions, family devotions. With the busyness of life, we've given up on a, on a most practical and a necessary practice in our Christian life. And if, if you think about it, it's, it's important. We preach all the time, you should be in the word of God, spending time nurturing your relationship with God, right? If it's important for you, why wouldn't it also be important for your families as well? Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century pastor and theologian, he said these words, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. A little church. I mean, your family literally is a gathering of believers, right? So your family is, in a sense, a little church to worship God. And if every family were dedicated to this pursuit, honestly, I think revival would spring out across America. If families would just start doing this together, worshiping God together, spending time in his word together, revival would come. I, I, I was challenged this past week, we were talk uh, the retreat, all about walking with Christ. And the basic premise was this, is if you don't walk with Christ in the morning, you're not going to walk in the spirit throughout the day. The idea there is you can't walk in the spirit if you don't have a relationship with God. Our families need to have relationships with God. And, and there was this one point that they brought up in, in, the, in the retreat, that honestly, if we were walking with Christ daily, in a daily relationship with him, we wouldn't even need revival. We would already be revived. We would already be where we ought to be. Revival is, is a fixing of a problem, right? And if we were walking with the Lord, we wouldn't need the revival to begin with. And so when it comes to our families, we have an opportunity to to usher in things like this. If we could raise our families to honor and to glorify God. And as parents, we have that responsibility. So tonight, my goal is to, first of all, lay a foundation for why should we practice family devotions. Secondly, to give some biblical insights on what to do in our devotions. And then to give you some practical helps, okay? Because I can say, go do family devotions, service over. And you guys try to figure out what to do and you'd be lost right so i always want to end with something that is practical that you can take away that you can apply to your life so the first thing we're going to look at is the biblical practice of family devotions. And most of the most of the message is going to focus fo, yeah, so most of the message is going to focus on one passage tonight. But I want to do a brief overview of the biblical basis for family devotions. This concept is not one that is just found in one Bible passage in some obscure law found in the Old Testament, right? It is a concept, it is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. The relationship of parents with their children the spiritual training of our children is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. So I'm going to skip the most obvious verse because that's where our text is and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. So let's start in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter number 78, Psalm chapter number 78. Psalm 78 and we'll read verses 1 through 8. says give ear O my people to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us we will not hide them from our from from their children showing to generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God." Notice in this text that there is is clearly a a burden in God's heart that the faith, the worship of God would be passed down from generation to generation. And in the psalm it says here in verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of God. We look at the generation, the world that we have inherited today, and we think there is so much wrong with this world, the society that we live in. I mean, just get, get into politics, get into any other area, sports, all of these areas. There is a lot of bad things going on in our culture. But those things were inherited from a previous generation because they didn't pass it down to their children. In, the, in this text, it, sa- it tells us who was responsible for passing that legacy down. It says, and our fathers have told us. So let, let's turn back to the previous verse. Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us men this is this kind of a wake-up call for us is we are the ones who bear the primary responsibility for the spiritual state of our homes our wives honestly in most cases our wives are more godly than we are are they not i think most most men know this but yet the responsibility still falls on us to lead our families spiritually that doesn't mean our wives are uninvolved, doesn't mean that they, they don't participate, but that responsibility is, is, falls on the fathers. And we are to tell our children we are to pass on a legacy. God desires for his commands and our faith to be passed down from generation to generation. A lot of men like talking about the legacy they're going to live. Some men have rich houses and they can leave an inheritance for their kids. But what greater of an inheritance could you leave for your kids than a spiritual inheritance? We see evidence of a heritage passed down in the life of Timothy. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Because again, this isn't just an Old Testament concept. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Starting in verse number 5, Paul is praising Timothy. Timothy. And making remembrance of him. And this is towards the end of Paul's life. Paul's getting ready to die. And he wants to write his son in the faith. And he's remembering fondly some things about him. But he says in verse number five, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. So Paul rejoiced that that Timothy's faith was unfeigned. It was unfake. It was non-hypocritical. It was real. It was genuine. But notice what he says here. The faith that is in you which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I per, am persuaded that in thee also. Timothy inherited a legacy, a spiritual legacy, from his mother and from his grandmother. His father was a Gentile. He didn't believe, believe in God, Jehovah, but Timothy was raised in, in this legacy from his grandparents. And this is a challenge for grandmothers, and grandfathers, right? You can still be involved in the lives of your grandchildren to help guide them and, and steer them in this direction. But this faith was in his grandmother, Lois, and then in his mother, Eunice. And then later on in chapter 3, Paul again hits the same theme in Second Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you want to know what Lois and Eunice did? They raised their son in the scriptures. They gave him the thing that that he needed. And so they raised him up in the holy scriptures. He had a spiritual legacy that was passed down to him. And I think from these passages, we see that family devotions of some sort they may, not always, they may not be commanded in black and white, but it is an expectation that is placed on us to impart our spiritual legacy to our families and to our children. And again, every man wants to build some kind of a heritage. Some men build skyscrapers and towers, others monuments and wealth, but mine, I want to leave spiritual giants in my wake. That's, what, that's my desire for Bella, for Emma. Where's Emma? Emma. You're wearing Emma's dress, so I'm getting confused here, okay? Emma, so Bella and Emma and Levi and Chloe, I want them to be spiritual giants when I leave behind. I have my flaws. I want my kids to go so much further than I could ever go spiritually. And so we see this theme throughout scripture of passing on a spiritual legacy to our children. But let's turn to our main text in Deuteronomy chapter number six. Deuteronomy chapter number six. we're going to look at the practice of family devotions, Deuteronomy 6. This is probably the classic passage on the topic of family devotions, And uh, when I was away, I didn't necessarily have all my commentaries to study for this message. I'm just going to let you know all that. I don't know what Kenneth Wiest says about any of this. Of course, he's a Greek scholar, not a Hebrew scholar. Okay, so, but I had a lot of time to sit and to meditate because that was one of the themes of our retreat was meditating on God's word. And I just began and I started asking my questions, myself questions about this text and I believe God, God opened it up in a way that's, that I think is important for us to see. Um, God allowed me to meditate on this passage more deeply, and I came up with these four questions. Okay? First of all, the first question we need to ask ourselves from Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, what is God commanding them to do? Let's go ahead and start in verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land, whither you go to possess it that ye mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that thou thou may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then... Beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the people of, of the gods of the people which are around about you, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. So what is it that God commanded them to do? One of the things I do when I, when I study my Bible is I have a highlighting system. I highlight different clauses and phrases according to how they're used, and then I'll underline certain things. But I underline the commands that are given in a passage. I want to know what does God tell me to do? What does he expect of me? And I want that to jump off the page because I have an obligation to listen to that and to obey that, right? And so the first question is, what is God actually commanding them to do? In verse number seven, we are given a couple different things that he commands these parents to do. It says, first of all, and thou shalt teach them diligently. Thou shalt teach them diligently. So the first thing we are told to do is to teach them, and teach here means to impress on them by repetition and admonition, okay? Okay. So I've often thought that it is all right if throughout the day we just casually talk about Christianity to our kids, and that's fine, right? Except teaching is more formal than that. It is more intentional than that. I think most of us, when we think, hey, I'm just going to talk to my kids throughout the day, we just don't do it. We don't do it. The day gets away from us. It doesn't happen. And so we have to intentionally sit down and try to teach our kids. And to be honest, there are some lessons that you have to talk to them about that maybe circumstances aren't going to bring up automatically in their lives. And you want them to be prepared for those circumstances beforehand, right? You don't want your kids to go to school and get bullied one day and then not know how to handle that beforehand, right? You want to prepare them. You want to give them the things that they need before they get into that situation. So you can't just wait for the situation to crop up and then you teach, talk to them about it, right? Teaching is more intentional than that. And so I think there really is an expectation that we sit down with our kids and we teach them very specific lessons from God's word. And we can't leave this to chance and hope that they will catch it just by observing our lives and the things that we say casually from day to day. It needs to be spoken, it needs to be applied, and it needs to be direct, So we have a responsibility, first of all, to teach our children. Secondly, in the passage, he says, and shalt talk of them. Okay, this is another reason I think teaching here is not the same thing as talking to them throughout the day. They're two separate commands. Teach them and talk of them. So merely giving them classes at formal times of teaching isn't enough either, right? Have you ever attended a class like math class and then never thought about it again? Anybody in here? Anybody done quadratic formulas, and then after high school was over, I'm done with this? Okay. Unfortunately, I'm not done with this because I still got to teach my kids, okay? Math has fallen into my lap to teach my kids, so, okay. But yeah, you can learn something in a formal setting, and then you just go on and you ignore it, you forget about it because it was just talked about that one time, right? So we want to talk consistently, constantly to our children throughout the day. I think we easily compartmentalize our lives and so we don't see how scripture applies to our life. Why do you think so many Christians come to church on Sunday but then they don't live like it the rest of the day? Because they've compartmentalized Sunday to this is church day. I'll be a good godly Christian with a suit and tie on Sunday and sit here and listen and sing the songs but then on Monday we go and we do our own thing. And that's a lot of times how we live. As parents, we must show our children that the Bible speaks to every area of their life. So so much of our Christian lives is filled with going to other people for advice on what to do in different situations. But this book is not silent about the situations we deal with. It has something to say. And so as we go through life, we have an opportunity to speak to our kids and to talk to them. And by doing that in the moment, we show them how Scripture relates to their life. Problem is, many of us as parents don't talk to our kids very much, do we? Communication is low on our priority list. If we talk to them, it's stop doing that. It's time for dinner, come to the table now, right? But we don't spend time just talking with our kids. And God expects us to talk about these things with our kids. <clears throat> so the Bible's influence should be, sh- should be felt when we get up in the morning in the text Verse number 7 again, it says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them. When shall we talk about them? When thou sittest in thine house. So at your, when you're at home, when you walkest by the way, when you're out in town shopping, when you liest down, and when thy, thou risest up. Now we could be extremely literal here, but that's not what Moses is trying to get across here, I don't think. What Moses is trying to say is, you should talk to your kids about God throughout your entire day no matter what you're doing. Relate God to your life. So we are, first of all, to teach them. Secondly, we are to talk to them. Thirdly, we are to remind our children. We are to remind them. Let's look at verse number 12. When they get into the land, and they have all these blessings that they didn't earn, they didn't build houses, they didn't dig wells, they didn't plant vineyards, but God has blessed them with it. He cautions them in verse number 12. Then beware Lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. As parents, we have a responsibility to remind our children of all of these things. Because they forget, right? How often do our kids forget, children obey your parents and the Lord? Kids, do you know that song? Children obey your parents. Can you guys sing it? Anybody know it? Children obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm not going to sing the second verse. Okay. We'll just start there. Okay. But how many times do our kids forget that lesson right there? We've taught it to them. Have we not taught that formally to our kids? Yeah, they come to Sunday school, they definitely hear it, right? Okay. And then as parents, we say, you need to obey your mommy and daddy in the moment, but they forget, and we need to remind them of that. Same thing with le- with math lessons. How many times have I taught front-end estimation over the past few years? And I hate front-end estimation, okay? So multiple, multiple times because it keeps coming up every single year. Why do we repeat these things? Because repetition helps learning. It ingra- helps it ingrain it into their heart and their soul. And so we need to repeat these things. In fact, when it says here, Thou shalt teach them, that word diligently right there, actually the Hebrew word there carries the idea of repeatedly, over and over and over again. And it takes diligence to do that, right? If we're half-hearted parents, we're not going to keep up with these lessons. We're going to get flustered. We're going to get upset that the kids just, they won't listen, they won't behave, and so we give up. But that's not how God wants us to parent our children, to guide them spiritually. He wants us to teach them, he wants us to talk to them, and he wants us to remind them repeatedly. So first question, what does God command? Those three things. Secondly, why does God want them, these parents, to teach these things to their children? Why is a good question. Uh, In fact, for devotions, Chloe, I'm going to use you as an illustration. Is this all right? Okay, so (laughs) I have to ask permission. But we had a devotion the other night, and I asked the kids to open up to Psalm 63 and write as many questions as they could come up with. Almost every single one of Chloe's questions started with this word, why? Okay, because Chloe likes why questions, obviously, so, but kids want to know why. We need to know why does God expect this of us? Why is it so important to do these things, to teach our children, to talk to them, to remind them about the things of the Lord in our daily lives? Verse 15 says, gives us the first reason, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Honestly, think about this. The world has plenty of families. They don't need mine. They've got their, their, their glut of families out there. Satan has destroyed enough of them. So why should I let them have mine? Jealousy in God. It sounds like a negative concept, but it isn't really. Jealousy in God is a positive thing. It's merely a passionate desire to protect the relationship. I'm, he's passionate about protecting the relationship with us with his children why is he so passionate about that relationship because it is good it is what we need it is what is beneficial for our lives and it is important and so god is jealous he does not want to lose that connection with his people and this is this is my takeaway our families matter to god they are important he delights in them he wants to see them prosperous and, and walking with him and he wants to have fellowship with them 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14 says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. And I preached on this a few, probably so now. But the idea here is that when there is a believer in the home, those children are set apart to God. God takes a special interest in them. Now imagine a home that has two believers in it. How special, how important is are those kids to God? So first of all, why, why should they do these things? Because God is a jealous God. He loves our families, and he wants our families to be in a relationship with him. Secondly, this is the obvious reason, because God commands it, right? Are these phrases here saying, Nah, if you feel like it, you should teach your children. Is that what God said? No? Anybody? Or if you feel like it, talk about it with your kids throughout the day. No? And let me throw this in here. You can't talk about something with your kids throughout the day if it's not on your mind throughout the day, right? Previous verse, verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in whose heart? Thine heart. You can't parent your kids, you can't lead them spiritually, if you yourself do not have a relationship with God. God commands it, it's not something that he takes lightly and to do to do something else to ignore his commands is disobedience now let me make this clear we are not under the old testament levitical law but there is a consistent principle throughout scripture that god wants us to guide to nurture and to raise up our children spiritually i don't think you are under any legal obligation to every single night monday through sunday Sit down and have family devotions with your kids, and if you fail, you're a horrible sinner who needs to repent. That's not what I am saying here, okay? But if we want to raise our children to honor and to glorify him, he's given us the method. He's given us the pattern for how to do that. And he, he, has, he commanded it in, De- in Deuteronomy 6 because it is important. If we are going to see another generation come forth And worship and love and honor God. So, the third reason here is that teaching them these things that he talks about will bring blessings to our family. Verse number three He says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. Why? That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest increase mightily. So, God tells them, Listen to what I'm saying and do what I'm about to say. Why? Because I'm going to bless you. you're going to increase mightily. Think about Ephesians 6 verses one and two. Children, what is the promise given if you will obey your parents? Was <laughs> that? Long life and that may be well with you, okay? So, but, so long and prosperous life, kind of a, sorry, Spock is slipping into my head here, okay. But so, God wants us to have a, a blessed life, right? And that's, that's, that's something that he promised in the, in, in the law that would accompany obedience to our parents, but he continues it into, Genesis, into Ephesians chapter number six. God wants to bless us. We were talking about this in, in Sunday school. A lot of times people believe that the only way to be happy is to do what I want to do, to disobey God, brings me happiness. That's the philosophy of our world, right? But how many times does disobedience actually ever bring happiness? When we sin, what things happen? When I lie, what happens? Broken trust, right? When I steal, I hurt somebody. When I am angry and I lash out, I hurt somebody and I destroy relationships. Every time we sin, there are negative consequences to it, right? So disobedience doesn't bring happiness, although we think it does. Disobedience brings hurt and pain and misery obedience actually is the only thing that brings happiness into our lives so as we teach our children to obey god we are teaching them hey this is how to have a blessed life from god because living in obedience and living in relationship with him is what god honors in life so secondly we said why should we teach these things thirdly what should i be teaching my children Okay. let's look at verse number two. It says, God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess that thou mightest fear the Lord. First thing in this text that we ought to teach our children is to fear the Lord. A quote I found this week says, reverence or the fear of the Lord is the combination of admiration and fear, of awe and of dread, of wonder and terror. Is an emotion that we were made to experience. I don't think we convey to our children a lot of times the greatness of God and a proper fear of God in their lives. Most children's ministries make God to be just like the kid next door, right? He's just the, the buddy that I have. And that is true. But if our children get a glimpse of the greatness of God, that, <clears throat> they would not be so casual about their disobedience. And so it is important that we teach our children to fear the Lord. And this isn't just, I know a lot of translations will translate this reverence and respect, and that is included in there. But when Israel surrounded Mount Sinai, were they just in awe and wonder and reverence of God? No, there was a healthy, holy fear, because that same God could strike them dead at any moment. And so fear of the Lord is not just this this puny, weak thing that we have made it in our culture today. Verse number 3 tells us that we are also to teach them to obey. Hear therefore O Israel and observe to do it. Okay, observe, do do what God has commanded. Hey, okay, verse number 4 it says hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is part of the lesson we should be teaching our children. Hear O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. If if any other lesson, if there was any other lesson we could teach our kids, this is the one that we need to make sure we get across. Who is our God? Who is our God? That's the most important thing. This is, in fact, one of the most important lines in all of Judaism. It is a creed that defined their entire religion. Jehovah alone is God. And as parents, we need to teach our children to know God. What does it mean to know God, though? What does that mean in your life? What does it mean to know God? Does it mean to know scriptures? That's the tool to get you there, but that's not knowing God. Knowing God is a relationship with Him. We need to teach our children how to have a relationship with Him, to know Him personally in our lives. Notice the the little word here in this phrase. In verse number four, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. If we can teach them nothing else, we need to teach them how to have a personal relationship with God. This isn't just the God of the universe. It isn't just Jehovah who created all things. This is my God. This is our God. And I want to share that lesson with my children. But then notice the next phrase, and these, these are amazing words here. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So what should I teach my children? I've mentioned this already in parenting, but we can teach our children right from wrong. But if we do not teach them to love God, it will all be for nothing. All of the law is, is summarized in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Our relationship with God is the most important thing about our walk with him. It is the most important thing about us. Where you are with the Lord is primary, and that is the lesson that you need to get across to your kids above all things, is to love God. Now, how are we to love him in this verse? I'm not going to preach a whole message on this. I just want to point out that it says, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. He's not just trying to split mankind up into a bunch of different pieces here. The key word here is all. How many times is that that, that word repeated? Three times, right? He is trying to say, love God with everything that you are. There is no room in Christianity for an emotionless Christianity. I'm just going to throw that out there. You love him with all your heart. There is no room for a stupid, mindless Christianity either. You love him with all your mind. And you love him with all your strength, your soul, your passion, your will in life. You love him with everything that you are and that you have. That's what God expects. That's what God wants. And that's what we should be teaching our children. And somehow, I need to teach my children how to passionately love God with their entire being. So how do I do that? He gives us some practical guidance for how to do that in this text. Uh, verse number four, Hear, o, hear o, o Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In Israel, in, Ju- in Judaism, this is actually called the Shema. The Shema is, uh, technically it's a quote, but when they recite it, it is a song. I looked it up in, in the synagogue services. I listened to them, to them do this, and this is how, this is how they, they do this. They, they say the Shema, they say, um. Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Okay, what's different about that from normal speech? There were tones, right? This isn't, this is a song. They, they teach, they teach their children through song. The Lord, our Lord, is one Lord. They impart it to their children through song. And I th- one of the best times in our family devotions is the time that we get to pick and, and sing songs together as a family because you are teaching lessons. When the choir's up here singing songs like I Am Bound for the Promised Land, we're not just up here to make beautiful music. We're teaching a lesson, right? We're imparting a lesson. And so part of our family devotions, imparting these lessons to our children, involves singing. And singing is so important because it allows what is being taught to enter into us both mentally and emotionally at the same time. We are more likely to remember something if it has been made into a song. How many of you guys struggle memorizing, like, the books of the Bible? You remember memorizing the books of the Bible? Did any of you guys sing the books of the Bible? How much easier was it to sing the books of the Bible? Okay, in Greek class, we had... Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, and Yoda. Not Yoda like this, but Yoda the letter, okay? So, but we, we sang the Greek alphabet to help us remember it because singing is an amazing technique for passing on lessons to our children, and it sticks with them. It gets in their head. Levi, all week he's been singing, Do right till the stars fall hopefully not holding the microphone like he was on Sunday night. <laughs> okay, but, but he, he was constantly singing. Why? Because it sticks in his head, and I'm hoping someday that in the moment when he is tempted to do what's wrong, that song will pop into his head, and he will remember to do what is right. Another way of teaching, um, same thing in verse number four, is through the, through the use of catechism. Okay, Catechism is a use of creeds, or lessons that are taught, repeated, and memorized. And again, I said this was a creed in Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. When they would recite it, they would recite it exactly in the same words that are written down here. So the Shema is a form of a repeated truth to be memorized by the Jews. And in essence, it was a creed sung with, as it is written, no interpretation or change. There are some lessons... We want our kids to just memorize these lessons, know these truths. We have Bible memory for truth trackers. That's kind of the same idea, but there there are different forms of catechisms that we can give, and I'm not talking about Catholic catechisms out there. There are Baptist catechisms out there as well that you can use that teach doctrinal truth that our kids need to know. Another part is memorization. Notice in verse number six, and these words, the words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And I'm, I'm joining two things together here, memorization and meditation. Okay? This is important. When we teach our children, we should not just teach them to read the Bible. Okay? When you teach your children to do their devotions, you should not be teaching them just to read it. That is carnal Christianity. It is basic surface level Christianity. They will not have a heart for God just from merely reading scripture. They need to get it into their heart, okay? Into their heart. We do that through memorization is one way, but that can still just get in the head. The key here is we do that through meditation. Meditation allows us to take the truths of God's word and to get it into the heart of who we are. And so as we raise our children, we need to be teaching them to memorize and to meditate on God's truth. We are also to be teaching them repeatedly. I already talked about this. The word diligently is that idea of repeatedly. You can't just teach your children a lesson one time and then expect they've got it. We're good. We're done. Right? How many times did it take potty training your kids before before it took? Right? It took a while to get there. Okay? Okay? and sometimes you got to go back and revisit those lessons that you thought you mastered over time. So it takes repetition. uh, Next thing, dialogue. Dialogue. Again, it says, and shall talk of them. Talk with your kids. Communicate with them. I don't think, again, parents spend enough time talking with their kids about anything, let alone spiritual things. Sometimes the most important conversations are the impromptu conversations of, of life. We have an opportunity to connect with God's words as we go throughout the day. But let your, let your kids talk. When I do family devotions, my kids, they have opportunities to talk. How do, how do I get there? I ask them questions. I encourage them to come up with questions on their own and to, and to talk about the things that we've been doing. Again, the meditation exercise we did. I gave them a passage and I asked them to write down as many questions as they could think of from that passage. And so they were asking questions, and then we can talk about those questions. So dialogue with them. Don't just preach at your kids. If you preach at your kids in family devotions, they're going to check out pretty quickly. Okay? No 45-minute sermons in family devotions. Okay. Also, they need reminders. Verse 12, again, beware lest thou forget. This ties the idea of repetition, but we need to remind them when they are not thinking God's thoughts about something. When they are misbehaving, connect that misbehavior to the word of God. Let them know how they are disobeying not just you, but they are disobeying God. And then we want to provide an environment, a spiritual environment for our kids. Again, we're not under the Old Testament law, but notice in verses 8 and 9, Uh, God says, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hands. So they literally would take little uh, cards of scripture and put them in boxes on their hands and their forehead called phylacteries. I probably should have had Luke make me one and I could wear it while I was up here preaching. Okay, so, but they would bind them on their hands and on their foreheads. And then he says, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Why wear the phylacteries? Why put scriptures on the doorpost? Have you ever been to a Jewish house before? I was on visitation just, just recently and walked up to a Messianic Jew's house and he had that little thing yeah, right there. You kiss it and you tap it, but it's got scripture in it and Hebrew lettering on the outside that I don't know what it says. But, it's a, but they put these things there as a reminder. Subtle reminders throughout our house. Honestly, you ladies, you have an amazing opportunity here. Decorate your house with scripture. Put up all kinds of spiritual reminders about God in, in the house. Surround them with an environment, a Christian environment. But ultimately, the goal of teaching these things to my children is to get it into their heart. And so scripture gives us these different ways that we can, that we can use to teach to talk with, to impart spiritual lessons to our kids. Now, I'm going to give you some practical tips for conducting family devotions. Again, you don't have to do things the way I do, okay? But I'm going to give you a model that you can take if you're doing nothing, and I'm going to give you some other ideas if you're doing nothing that you can take and you can apply it. So and maybe, maybe you're already doing family devotions, but you're like, hmm, I like that idea. I'd like to add that to it. So my, my practice for family devotions right now the first thing that I, that I try to do is I have a goal in mind for what I want to teach my kids. You remember that sheet of the 40 things I want to teach my kids that I passed out? Okay, that's, that's one of my starting places. I go there and I look through that and I, and I look for the lessons that I need to teach them before they become adults. So I start with a goal in mind. It's not just haphazard, accidental, random passages that we, that we go through in our family devotions. The second thing is we let each of our kids pick a song for family worship. Allowing them to pick a song gets them excited about participating in the direction of the family worship. They are involved at this point by allowing them to pick the songs. And then I bring a devotion. I try to bring a Bible devotion that deals with the topic I've previously picked out. And again, the best way to communicate to them is not to preach a full-length sermon to your kids. Kids have shorter attention spans. Spend shorter amounts of time if you have to talking to them in devotions. But do something, right? Encourage dialogue. Ask questions. Discuss the answers. Bring it to practical application so that they know how the Bible speaks to their life. There are certain lessons that kids have that surprisingly you adults don't have, right? Okay? There's, there are different difficulties that they have. Kids more, more than adults deal with peer pressure. They need to know how to deal with peer pressure. They need to know how to think about it, what to do with it. So talk about these things. Then we have a time of prayer. I allow the kids to give one prayer request. And sometimes I will pray, sometimes I'll let the kids pray. It just depends, I'll vary it up. And then a time of thanksgiving. I want my kids to remember that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God, from above. And I want to develop in them an attitude of gratitude. So we go around and we give something we're thankful for, starting usually with the youngest, and I tell them they are not allowed to repeat what somebody else said. Why do I do that? Because if Levi says my family, Emma says my family, Bella says my family, Chloe says my family, none of them have really thought about what they're thankful for. They're just repeating what they, what they heard, right? So I want them to stretch themselves to actually practice thanksgiving in their lives And then be willing to change it up. Don't always do the same thing. Now I've got up here, and I'll put these on the front pew. I've got different things that we have done throughout the past dealing with family devotion. Sometimes we'll do family Bible quizzing, okay? My kids are put to shame by the Hits kids on Bible quizzing, so there's an internal challenge here of we've got to get better at Bible quizzing, right? And so what we did was we went to Mardell's, and we bought... Bible challenge, over 580 Bible trivia questions. And we're cheating and prepping our kids for Bible quizzing now. So, but, we, but we have Bible quizzing with our kids to help them think about and remember key things in, in Scripture. It just reinforces biblical truth. But it makes it fun. The kids love it, right? This is one of the things they ask to do quite, quite often. <clears throat> Sometimes we'll watch a Christian movie together. Okay, Other times we have an activity that reinforces a biblical truth that we are trying to teach. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done this yet, but I remember Dennis Rainey talking about bringing in a cow tongue in for family devotions inside a box, and then having the kids stick their hand into it. Kids, you lucked out because this summer I was going to do this, and we ran out of time. Okay, <laughs> so, But stick their hand in there and feel the tongue and try to guess what it is, and then I was going to teach on the tongue. You know, okay. Um, <clears throat> I haven't done that yet, so... I've let the cat out of the bag, you know what to expect, okay? But the purpose of that lesson is an object lesson to teach on the tongue, and there are books of object lessons that you can buy and you can teach. I think Brother Schrader, Brother Schrader does an amazing job with this, right? In children's church, what is it, that that little electrical thing that you stick your hand on and your hair goes, like that, okay. Brother Schrader's always bringing in object lessons to teach the kids, and those things cement those lessons. You can also buy family devotion books so i got this one right here from focus on the family um, their bookstore out in colorado springs this is together time fun size devotions for the whole family these will not take you more than 15 minutes to go through so if you feel i don't have time jason to do family devotions do you have 15 minutes and then the other question is are 15 minutes important enough for you to sacrifice to give to raising your children to glorify God. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, get books like this, you know? <clears throat> I've also got this book right here, 52 Uncommon Family Adventures. Now, one of the this is a book of activities, Christian activities that have a moral, Bible story lesson to teach along with it. We had one day we invited the Hitses over and we had a competition between the Shirks and the Hitses. And that was our activity for the day. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, we did, like, the basketball thing. We hung up Levi's basketball goal. Okay, anyway, so, but there are all kinds of activities in this book to make your devotion time with your family enjoyable, fun, and they still learn a good, godly, spiritual lesson. But try to have a set time for your family devotions. Our time right now is generally right after dinner in the living room. That has been a little bit harder because Katie wants to get the kitchen cleaned up so she can focus. you know. So. But have a set time. I, I, I remember in Bible college, I would go over every Sunday to hang out with one of the married couples at our church. And their, their family devotion time was immediately at the dinner table before everybody got up and left. Dirty dishes and all. They would do family, de- family devotions right then and there. But if you don't have a set time that you can try to do this, you probably won't get it done. You probably, you'll probably forget. And I honestly, I've even included visitors in our house when Katie's family comes to visit or we have people visiting with us and they're there at family devotion time. Why not bring them in on it, right? <clears throat> but use wisdom, but don't be shy either about it. Ultimately, fathers should take the lead because, again, this is the father's responsibility in the home. This is our obligation, our job. Men, God has called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. This is part of your responsibility, your, your family to love and to serve God. Remember in Psalm 78 verses 1 through 4, it said, our, which our fathers have told us. Didn't say which our mothers have told us, said which our fathers have told us. And I'm not saying mothers can't be involved in family devotions and mothers shouldn't be doing those things. But ultimately, the responsibility falls on you men. You're the one that God's going to hold accountable for the spiritual lessons that you impart to your children. So if you want to look at any of these books or the uh, Bible quizzing card deck, I'll have those out on the front pew after we're done. But I want to challenge you with this one idea, okay? If this seems to be a monumental task for you, start small. You don't have to have hour-long devotions right away, right off the bat. I think actually the prayer retreat we went to, that was one of the the dangers that encouraged people to pray for an hour. Well, when you're coming from praying never, <laughs> an hour is a lot of time, right? Start small. Just do something, you know? If, if you need to, just sing a song, read a Bible passage, and pray with your kids each night. But at least you're starting. You're getting out and you're doing something. Something is always better than nothing. So I generally spend, try to spend about 30 minutes, and I don't recommend much longer than that. You want your family, your family devotions to be good, your kids to enjoy it, not to be a drudgery. But if you can't do that, again, just do something. Okay? Also, I want, to, I want to conclude with this. I don't believe God absolutely commands this in our lives, like in a legal, legalistic sort of way. Like if you missed a day, something's wrong with you spiritually. But we should be striving to do what honors God, what pleases him. This is, this is part of our worship, and we should be leading our families in this type of worship as well. Heads bowed, eyes closed. So men, tonight specifically, I want to ask you this question. How many of you would say, Pastor Shirk, pray for me? I have not been the spiritual leader in my home, but by God's grace tonight, I am deciding I will step up in this area. Would you